1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Right now, a pretty awesome prize. Hardwood tickets for you through the KDOS 1060 app. Beneficial to download the app, register, and you're set to be eligible as one of the winners for those hardwood tickets. It is the extra point on this Wednesday, November 15th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 p.m. today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll take your phone calls today around 11:30 and 12:15. The number, as always, 602-260-1060 to join the program. But first, let's set the scene with today's poll questions and we'll We'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. By now, everyone is probably aware the Bills have made some changes following their loss on Monday Night Football to the Broncos by firing their offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey. The Bills sitting at 5-5, five and five, so the question, should the now 5-5 five and five Bills have fired offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey? And this has completely shifted. Before, it was a 50-50 split, and now no is prevailing. 73% of the vote Yes, trailing at 27%. Hmm. So maybe some of those people think that Brian, uh, Brian Dable should be, uh, you know, bring, bring him back and make him the head coach of the Bills. I heard that yesterday. Uh, but uh, since he left, there's no question the last two years uh, with Dorsey, a quote, in charge of the offense, uh, that Josh Allen's efficiency has gone down. I don't think there's any also any – I don't think there's any question also that, uh, you know, the fact that – uh, the, the Thursday night game was that three or four weeks ago, whenever that was, that he went down with a shoulder thing and went into the tent. And Kaylee Hartung reported that he had a shoulder thing, and then the team tried to deny it and all that crap. Uh, you know, his you know, attempts down the field have decreased tremendously. Uh, just the attempts, let alone the efficiency. Uh, something going on there, but let's face it. Also, you know, you could, you know, if you're going to fire somebody in the Bills, McDermott maybe should be number one on this list. However, maybe nobody should be really fired because they lost, you know, they're arguably their best defensive lineman, inarguably their best linebacker, who was one of the best linebackers in the league, and their covered corner. They lost them all to season ending injuries. And when those guys were all playing, they destroyed the Dolphins earlier this season. I have some other numbers about Josh Allen when we do officially answer the poll question around 1230. But uh, to your point about down the field throws, uh, most of his interceptions are coming at 10 plus yards downfield. He has 11 of those and 14 total turnovers. So he's certainly been leading the way in the turnover category this season, kind of reverting back to what we saw Josh Allen when he first started in the league. I'll add that. I'll back that up even further. He's had the most turnovers of any quarterback in the league since he's become a starting quarterback. 
So we will officially answer the question, KDOS1060.com. Plenty of time for you to still cast your vote. Let's toss this on over to Twitter, at KDOSAM1060. Who would be the best long-term fit for the Cubs? Cody Bellinger, who is a free agent. He spent one season with the Cubs. He got his hitting back in order after the Dodgers decided to let him go after some slump slumping at the plate. Juan Soto, uh, I've seen him possibly in the news for a trade. I'm not really sure what to make of the Padres situation needing to get like a $50 million loan. Some people saying that this is uh, really bad news. Other people saying it's not that bad news. It, these sorts of loans sort sorts of things happen all the time so not really sure where the Padres status is but they might be looking to shed some payroll moving Juan Soto regardless who would be the best long-term fit for the Cubs Cody Bellinger 62.5 percent of the vote right now from the masses Juan Soto 37.5 percent yeah the Soto thing uh, I think escalated here in the last couple of days after unfortunately the owner of the Padres passed away and he obviously uh, you know, a few years ago now, decided that he, he was ill of health at that point. I mean, he's had some you know, up, you know, ups and downs as far as the health thing goes, and I think it was somewhat of a surprise he had a setback here in the last few months. But, you know, with him not, not living anymore, and uh, I'm not sure how that ownership's going to work, but there's the, this question was inspired because there's been plenty of talk in baseball over the last, you know, you know 24 hours or so that Soto uh, will be moving on and uh, you know, he's not, he's eligible for free agency after the 2024 season. So, and he's still only 25 years old. We will officially answer that question too around 1230 today. Uh, the Phoenix Suns, they play basketball tonight. According to reports, looks like we're going to get the debut in the regular season of Devin Booker, Bradley Beal and Kevin Durant will discuss the Phoenix Suns as they host the Timberwolves tonight a little bit later on in today's show. First, though, things that caught my attention as the coordinators for the Arizona Cardinals met the media yesterday. Kind of an interesting uh, breadth of topics that were hit on for all three of the coordinators. And I even have some love here for special teams coordinator Jeff Rogers that caught my attention. Uh, but the Cardinals, the reason, you know, that this is, I guess, a different feeling in a different tone. Kyler Murray back last week. They picked up their second win of the season. And so some takeaways here from the coordinators and we'll start with offensive coordinator Drew Petting. Of course, what what do you think about Kyler Murray and will there be more of a workload for him? What are you looking for from him from game one to game two of him getting his 2023 season started? Petting here says we really didn't hold anything back. I think you saw him do everything he has done in his career, showed up at a high level, off schedule plays, making plays with his feet, accuracy, arm strength, really all of it. We didn't hold a ton back from a scheme standpoint. Don't expect that to change moving forward. Yeah, I think that's just, you know, can easily be, uh, you know, backed up by the fact that they had called running plays for him in his first game and the first half of the first game. Absolutely. You know, there was something that did happen, and Jonathan Gannon was asked about it post-game. He did touch on it, and it was some operational things. There were 11 penalties for the Cardinals in that game, some specifically delay of games, false starts from Kyler Murray. So Petsing was asked operationally, uh, you know, do you expect operational things to get cleaned up, and can those things get cleaned up quickly? Petsing's response, I think, again, some of that was on me. Some of that was on me and 
my communication with him, him being Kyler Murray, I think the more comfortable we have together in terms of communication, play calling, flow of the game, we expect that to continue to improve and certainly an area for me that I'm always trying to get better at. Certainly we had a couple of hiccups there in the game we were able to overcome, but certainly we need to limit those going forward. And I think our familiarity with each other helps in that area. Yeah, I agree with that last comment. I mean, nobody should be at fault for this. I mean, it was you got a quarterback who hasn't played in a year. You have a quarterback who has never played in really any kind of high speed or in a game with the new system. Uh, so there was obviously some confusion. You know, you mentioned there were you know the there was some there was definitely some communication things if you watch the game and. And so forth. There was all kinds of uh, theatrics between Murray and the bench a couple of times when I think he was just trying to figure out what's going on. Plus, he had this wristband thing going. I don't remember him ever having wristband. I, you know, they didn't. He, they had. They huddled up. That's a whole new thing for Murray too. Obviously, they never. Well, I shouldn't say never. Rarely did they huddle up under Kingsbury. The only times I really remember them ever going in a huddle was at the end of a game. Uh, last four minutes of a game, so to speak, when they were trying to you know, kill some time or do the four-minute offense and so forth. But uh, they're, they're, they're a whole different deal for Murray. I mean, it's a, the one thing that they did, I think a, they didn't do a whole lot under the center. Uh, so, you know, that, that seemed to be the biggest difference as far as a scheme from what we saw the first few weeks of the season, no matter who else was the quarterback. It seemed to be more suited to, to shotgun because Murray was the quarterback. There is a question here about being under center. We'll get to that momentarily, but you touched on it with being in the huddle. Petzing was asked, what has been the biggest thing Kyler has had to adjust to in this new offense? Petzing's answer, being in the huddle, calling more plays in and out of the huddle, certainly a big part of it. It's a new language, and that's probably the biggest transition in it. You know some of the things his brain probably hasn't flipped over completely to, I want to run this. This is what it's called here. You know that's real. It's like learning English to Spanish, Spanish to Italian. Yeah. You're all saying the same things a lot of times, but remembering exactly how to communicate it in the language you're talking into your teammates, I think at times can be a little tricky. I think he's done a really nice job all offseason of embracing that, committing to that, and working on play calling. But I think that's probably the thing that's going to continue to improve the most as he just does it more and more. That makes sense. And just think about this. I mean, you know, his offense at OU and his offense with Kingsbury, there were a lot of similarities uh, between those things. And, uh, you know, this is a whole different deal in and, and really almost every way. Absolutely. Uh, so now to that under center question here, Murray under center, was that just how the game went or will that expand as time goes on? Petzing says a little bit of both. I really have no hesitations with him under center, putting him under center. He does a lot of things really well out of the gun. I think it creates some dynamics for the defense that make it hard on them. So it's more of a week to week. Hey, we are playing who we are playing. What do we feel lines up the best? Does that put him under center? Does that put him in the gun nothing to whether he's better here or there I don't really think that goes into my thought process yeah I think the you know the conventional thought process whether you know whether, no matter what level of football it is and it seems like almost never in college football you see center you know quarterbacks under center but when you see a quarterback under center there's a lot more running options out of those plays whether you know whether it, you know sometimes a quarterback but mainly running backs 
there are, seems to be fewer running possibilities or you know, running scheme formation type of things that you can actually do. Uh, you know, as far as a you know running back or you know a Rondell Moore reverse or jet sweep and those things, it seems like there's a lot more. If I'm a defensive coordinator, I have to be much more concerned about a possible running play and what is that running play if the, if the quarterback's under center. So this was we called it a very like high uh you know smart play for the Arizona Cardinals when they busted the run James Conner ended up going down didn't score the touchdown so they were able to control the clock and play for the last minute field goal uh to game expire when James Conner went down before going into the end zone the question here is is that part of the play call Petzing says yes and no. It comes in the same sentence, but it's in the communication about the situation. And that is head coach to me, me to the quarterback, quarterback to the huddle. So obviously in those high leverage situations, being able to stay calm and communicate was good to see. That's not always an easy thing to do. So excited we were able to execute that the way we needed to. Yeah, I think that's just kind of standard policy, no matter what uh, you know, level of football you're playing in that situation. So uh, that's not a surprise. You know, it's you know, kind of that. You know, like I said, I don't know what else he could say. Uh, finally, he was asked here that caught my attention. How are you evaluating this offense with healthy players now? And he says, I think the focus for us when we look at the tape is what do we do well? Where can we improve? And that's collectively and individually, regardless of who is out there. That's the key to being a good team. We're not going to be healthy the rest of the year. I wish we were, and it'd be great if we are. It's not likely. So I think focusing on making sure everyone is doing their job at a high level, continuing to learn from the reps they're not getting, making sure they're ready for the reps they're going to get, and putting the best 11 out there is going to be the focus in everything we do. Kind of regardless of we had a good game, we played well, these guys stepped up. Well, next game, we're going to need different guys to step up and other guys to play at a high level, and I think that has to continue to be the focus as you go through an NFL season. Well, I think one thing that clearly did not change last week, and obviously they had some offensive line changes last week also, but when healthy, as I've said many, many times this year, this offensive line has gotten worse during the season, and they've really struggled against stunts. Not necessarily blitzes, but just kind of the simple defensive line stunts. And when Murray was pressured, pressured by Atlanta last week, it seemed like that was almost always the case. That it wasn't like a you know a linebacker or a defensive back blitzing. It was just kind of the most basic, you know, defensive in and defensive tackle swap or whatever they call that, the TE thing and all that, uh, the uh, whatever that scheme is called. My apologies, I, I'm I'm sure I'm botching that up. But I think everybody kind of gets an idea. The Cardinals have been awful against that all season, and they didn't didn't get any better last week when they had backup guys in. Did it? Did anything stand out to you when you're talking about the stunts here? Like, was the pressure coming up the middle? Was it coming up from the left side, the right side? Did anything stand out, or was it kind of coming from any which direction that they they kind of called their stunt to to run from? Whatever side Calais Campbell was on, <laughs> and he moved around quite a bit. Now, he wasn't out there for 100% of the plays by any means, but uh, it seemed like that Whatever they were doing as far as a defensive line stunt, it was based on what you know, his uh, 
you know, I'm guessing he was calling it, quite frankly, you know, being an experienced player like he is. So that seemed like it would the, the constant was it was whatever you know, wherever Campbell was at, which was every, you know, pretty much everywhere in the defensive line at some point. Because essentially the entire left side of the line was new, right? Because DJ Humphreys wasn't yeah. uh, wasn't active, so you had Kelvin Beecham filling in at left tackle. Then they decided to go with O'Connell there at left guard, so the whole left side was was new. And then you know what we've been seeing: Will Hernandez didn't practice, uh, was limited in practice, but he ended up suiting up there at right guard, and then Paris Johnson Jr. at right tackle. Yeah, I don't think anything to do with the Cardinals. It's wherever Campbell lined up, it seemed to be where the pressure came from. Well, I guess he's still playing at a high level then. <laughs> well, it wasn't always him. I mean, like I mentioned, you know, there was a stunt thing, and you know, sometimes the defensive end is the one that provided it, but it just seemed to be that side where the pressure was coming from. Plus, yeah, McBride, McBride God bless him. We talked about him in the last segment. We've, I think we've talked about him three straight weeks now with uh, John McKechnie, his, his you know, fantasy value, and he's obviously a good pass catcher, but he's not a good blocker. Uh, so, you know, nor should he be. At, well, it'd be nice if he could block some. You got to maybe chip the, chip the guy before you go out and catch a pass, but if you're going to go down the field 20 yards, you're probably not going to have time to chip the guy. So those are the kind of things they need to work on. And this offensive line has had problems with the most basic stunts, not blitzes, stunts, and that's been going on for weeks. That's got to change. Defensive coordinator Nick Rollis and some takeaways from special teams coordinator Jeff Rogers on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDUS AM 1060. social information about KDUS AM 1060, try KDUS1060.com at KDUS AM 1060 on Twitter and Facebook.com slash KDUS AM 1060. AM 1060. It is Wednesday. It is November 15th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 p.m. today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Continuing some takeaways here from the coordinators of the Arizona Cardinals meeting the media yesterday. We just got through some things that caught our attention for offensive coordinator Drew Petzing moving into defensive coordinator Nick Rollis. And there was a particular rookie that stood out in Sunday's contest. That was B.J. Ajulery. He had two sacks uh, accounted for in that column. So... Rollis discussed his growth. He says, I think every area of his game is slowly improving throughout the year. This past game he did, I thought it was his most complete game as far as obviously everyone saw the sacks. He rushed well, but in other aspects in coverage, he did a really good job and without really diving into his details of what was on tape, but he did a good job of getting on the right matchups, smothering his coverage. He did really good in the run game. Thought he did a good job setting the edges in the run game. Complete game that was exciting. He's got to continue to build on that, improve on that. Yeah, Ojolari is really good as far as a pass rusher goes. These things that, uh, they, that he mentioned, that Rollis mentioned about, other than the pass rush, that's something that uh, we didn't see much at LSU. I don't know if he was required to do much at LSU other than just get to the quarterback, which is understandable in the college ranks. Uh, to be a little more of a complete player, if you're unless you're just a you know, complete elite pass rusher. Uh, but Ojolari, uh, really, uh, I liked him at LSU. Was really thought it was a very good pick when the Cardinals drafted him. 
And really, I thought that you know there were the two guys that stood out to me. I mentioned this, I know, on Monday, but I think it's worth repeating. Uh, the two rookies that just you know really you know obviously Ojolari because you mentioned the sack numbers there, and you know Rallis you know mentioned and added the the run stops and what he was supposed to do there, and I didn't really notice that during the game. I'm not disputing. I just didn't notice it. But yeah, you know, Williams also, uh, who's known as a cover corner before he got hurt at Syracuse. Another pick that I liked when they made it. Uh, but the fact that you know, he is not afraid to stick his nose in there and stop a running play. And you know, certainly the Falcons were trying to, in my opinion, run the ball too often. But that's been going on since Arthur Smith's been in Atlanta. No matter what, they're just going to try to pound it between the tackles when it seems pretty obvious that you could maybe exploit uh, your opponent doing something else. For instance, the Cardinals have allowed the most uh, you know, 20-plus yard plays, passing plays of any team in the NFL. Uh, but, you know, the Falcons didn't try to even take advantage of that. Even you know, maybe the defense for Smith here is that, you know, you got two quarterbacks that threw some of the ugliest passes I've ever seen in the university, what they call it, State Farm Stadium now. The, two of the, uh, some of the ugliest passes I've ever seen in Glendale. And I've seen a lot of bad Cardinals quarterbacks in Glendale. Yeah, there were some horrendous looking passes there. Uh, but, you know, the fact that, you know, the, the one thing that, back to Williams for a second. Sorry, I got sidetracked there because I'm just still baffled as to what the hell the Falcons are doing. Uh, but, you know, Williams just, he's not, a, you know, there are a lot of big time cover corners or uh, corners that have coverage skills that want no part of stopping a run. And there were two or three plays on Sunday where he had no problem trying to stop a running play. So you mentioned Garrett Williams there, and obviously the question was about B.J. Ojulari here. So we've certainly talked about this numerous times about how – Steve Kimes draft picks in the last three years or so, uh, a lot of them aren't even still on the roster. We, we went through that a couple of, a couple of months ago. But from this new group, Monty Austin for Jonathan yeah. Gannon, we have to start seeing how this crop of draft picks is going to pan out, how this rookie class is going to develop. And I, I think a couple of names that have certainly popped, you we already touched on them there with O'Jewelry and Williams. But then you have what is Paris Johnson going to be able to evolve into uh michael wilson we've seen that potential pop so the questions can he stay healthy and how does he get integrated more into this offense here with kyler murray now at quarterback and another name that i think has popped at times on the defensive side of the ball has been dante stills yeah he has even though i don't think he's any more than a backup defensive lineman but we'll see how that goes and uh another guy i liked in college so we'll see how this uh, goes now yeah, as far as, you know, Wilson and Williams, you know, the reason that the Cardinals were able to get him when where they did is that those two guys were injured with high frequency, unfortunately, in college, or in Williams' case, coming off a nasty, you know, injury at Syracuse in his last season there. Uh, but, you know, and this, what the, this is exactly what the Cardinals should be doing. Uh, I think that Austin Fort did, has done a really good job of just starting over and uh, which is exactly what they should have done. And, you know, they've got a whole bunch of dudes on. Uh, they, they, they Every day there's like a seemingly a roster move or two, uh, whether it be somebody waved, somebody brought in, somebody claimed, practice squads, uh, practice squad guys going up and down. That's exactly what they should be doing because they're just fi- trying to find even just a handful of guys 
that could actually have some kind of long-term ramifications for this franchise. So then the next question that piqued my interest here uh, from defensive coordinator Nick Rollis uh, was about the development of players in season. And is there a difference to how you approach the development process between rookies and veterans? And he says, I wouldn't say there is a difference between how you do it with rookies and veterans, but ultimately... That is why you got into this profession to improve the player, get the player to hit their ceiling. Player development is critical, and it can get overlooked at times once you get going during the season. It's easy to get lasered into the schematics of the next opponent, and you forget about the development of your own team. And that's ultimately what's going to win games, those players that are improving the execution of your own scheme, players improving their technique. There's two months left, so how can we help our players? Well, what I'd like to know is what's up with Marco Wilson. I mean, two weeks ago or two or three weeks ago, he's like, you know, following receivers around the field. He's like the, the cover corner guy, the one guy. Last week he got benched, uh, you know, not for the whole game, but there were multiple series last week where he was not on the field. This coaching staff seems completely unafraid to make changes week to week. I mean, uh, just look at basically the entire corner and safety situation. Yeah, I don't disagree with the Wilson thing because there's nobody uh, in Yavapai. In, uh, what kind are we in? We're Mar- in Maricopa County. I used to live in Yavapai County 30 years ago, so that's the same thing. But, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm not a fan of Marco Wilson, so I've got no problem. I was highly critical of, you know, why do they think he's this good? And so the fact that they're actually trying other people, I would certainly think Williams has a much better chance of being a long-term NFL cornerback, not even close compared to Wilson. And Wilson, another Steve Kime failure, in my opinion. A bit of a follow-up here about the development of players on the defensive side of the ball from Rawlis was how do you get guys better when you are locked in on the opponent and there is only so much individual time that you have with the players? Uh, He says, I think starting in the meeting room, you have to be very cognizant of continuing to talk about the things you want that defense to look like, whether that is the defense as a whole, talk about playing with motor and violence, taking the ball away, or if it's the details of each position, fundamentals or execution and scheme. You have to hammer it home in the meeting room. As easy as it is to let that slip, they got to get hammered home on the practice field. The individual has to continue to improve, and once you get into practice, that stuff has to show show up it's a continuous conscious effort to be obsessed with those details yeah this violence word i never heard this word in my life it seemed like uh from defensive coordinators or you know head coaches uh until like six months ago now i hear it like every day from everywhere it's amazing i'm not sure where this started but it certainly caught on as far as the cardinals defense goes I really kind of feel for Rollins because they just have so few good players or NFL caliber players. Yeah, in my opinion, you know, Baker, Thompson, White, that's about it. And maybe you know, OJ, OJ Laurie and also you know, Williams are guys that I really like, and I think that they have a chance to be really good players. But, you know, the Zayvon Collins is the world. I've seen enough of him. I mean, he's basically an edge rusher, and they got guys that can, you know, Ojolari's better at that, and I think more instinctual at that than Collins is. Uh, so, and, you know, they, they, I, I, they don't, don't have very many players. I think he's just trying to, you know, throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks, and I think that's an organizational thing, and it's what it should be. 
I mean, like I said, they're just trying to find a handful of guys that they can build around for the future. Well, Nick Rollis was asked about C.J. Stroud. He's next up for the Arizona Cardinals <laughs> defense as they travel to Houston. Uh, Rollis here says he deserves to be in that MVP race. I know that kind of hit recently. You can see this guy is going to be a really good player for a long time. His ability to put the ball accurately where it needs to be. He's got great arm strength. He can get the ball out on time. If it's not there, he knows how to get to his checkdowns. He knows when it's time to throw it away. If he needs to escape and improvise, he can do that. He can still keep his eyes downfield and make plays. He doesn't look anything like a rookie quarterback. There is a reason they are atop of the league in explosive passes. It's because he knows where to go with the football. They are doing a great job of scheming people open, and he's putting it there. They are also top in the league in yards after catch and attribute that to his accuracy. Yeah, and they've had wide receivers injured and out, too, and they've still got that yards after the catch thing. And one of the reasons that it's yards after the catch for them is because his accuracy, he hits receivers in stride. They use a lot of crossing routes. It's the San Francisco offense is what it is so they could they they do a tremendous job with that and uh, I'm a, i was a stroud fan uh in his ohio state days unlike justin fields who i wasn't that big of a fan of uh you know as far as the nfl is concerned certainly uh but you know his accuracy none of this is surprising to me quite frankly i mean you know some of the numbers sure uh but the fact that he's as good as he is like right away uh, and their, their offensive line has been beat up all year long for the most part. It seems like they've gotten healthier in that area. And he's been, like I said, they've had, you know, Nico Collins didn't even play last week. Uh, and they did what they did against the Bengals. And we talked about this a little bit on Monday. You know, the Cardinals have the Texans first rounder for the 2024 draft. And the prevailing thought before the season started was, oh, two great high draft picks here for the Cardinals. Well, with the Texans continuing to be what they are, you can even have the conversation, are they the best team in the AFC South? Uh, this pick could be late teens and in the 20s potentially for the Cardinals now. Well, they're, they're only one game behind Jacksonville, and they've already won at Jacksonville this year so that that's certainly the case no question about that also going back to the explosive play thing you know the cardinals have given up all these explosive plays and you know that is uh, you've been uh, you know number one on the list uh, you know that the texans explosive pass plays and last week the biggest surprise to me against the bengals is they ran the ball so well because they nearly didn't run the ball very well at all when they tried to run it last week, they tried to run it against the Bengals and they were highly successful running it. In fact, Singleton uh, had more carry, excuse me, more yards than any NFL rusher in the league last week, just and, last Sunday. And he was rewarded with AFC Offensive Player of the Week. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> Well, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Well, I can't give it to Stroud every week. (laughs) No. Uh, So special teams coach Jeff Rogers here, he was asked about when getting to the end of the game situation and you know that the team is essentially playing for the field goal, do you get nervous there knowing that it's going to rest on this one final play? And he says here, you try not to. There's a human element to all the things that can happen there. It worked out. Guys performed how we hoped they would but it can get interesting at times. The 
The other thing that caught my attention was about Greg Dorch's return here that set them up really nicely for a scoring drive, uh, his 53-yard punt return. He said, well, my eyes were somewhere else. A lot of times during those plays, I'm not following the ball. You're looking at blocks. You're trying to gain as much information as you can. Really, my thought process was about a week ago, he texted me and asked if we could put in this return. He saw something on tape. Generally speaking, when a guy is like, hey, I see this, he had the right idea. It was a good play for us. Yeah, and I actually think the Cardinals, with the you know, with the exception of Prater, have been pretty sketchy on special teams for the majority of the season so far. But I think that uh, we're really lost in the all the hoopla, and I was part of the hoopla about Murray's return and you know Connor and obviously McBride. I think the Cardinals, you know, a large chunk, not just the field goals that Prater had, but I think they won that game because of special teams. And Gilligan, who's not exactly – whoever has been punting this year for the Cardinals, it's been more than one guy, uh, has not been a consistent uh, thing. But uh, he had a couple of punts that really flipped the field that had a whole lot to do with them winning that game. So Prater, obviously the field goals, the return by Dorch, and then the Gilligan punting was a tremendous factor – Pretty close to the top of the list of why the Cardinals won that game on Sunday. Your phone calls, if you'd like to chime in, 602-260-1060 is the number. Also, NFL power rankings from The Athletic with a twist. Head coaching status for 2024. That's on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. Tune in weekdays to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp from 9 to 10 a.m. on KDUS AM 1060, KDUS1060.com, and with the KDUS 1060 app. Extra point here on KDUS AM 1060. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 p.m. today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. NFL power rankings from The Athletic has a little bit of a twist to it in today's show. It also has the head coaching status for 2024 with the options being solid, safe, or shaky are the three potential options for each team. It also got me thinking about the head coaches that we currently have in the NFL and and the coaches that have seven or more years experience with their current teams. Kind of what do we think of them in addition to coaches that are just getting their tenure started with their current teams three years three years or less what do we think about them so if we have some time we'll get into that as well but first up uh maybe to no surprise number one on this list is the philadelphia eagles they're eight and one last week they were sitting at two in the power rankings their coach status listed as safe they are coming off of a buy and i think that that buy for them came at a great time because you have some injuries piling up and certainly something to continue to monitor with the situation of Jalen Hurts' knee. Interesting, though, about Nick Sirianni here. Since starting 9-8 and eight in 2021, he is 22-4 and four with this Philadelphia Eagles team. And uh, certainly, as The Athletic points out here, is there a coach who embraces and embodies Philadelphia sports more than Sirianni? <laughs> 
That's a good point. <laughs> no doubt about it. I think that's a very good point, in fact. Also, you know, Goddard's going to miss several weeks here, so he's a big part of their offense when things are going best. So we'll see how they try to, uh, you know, I don't say, I'm not going to say replace him, but, you know, how's the target share change? And, you know, it's not like, you know, Smith and Brown were getting a lot of targets anyway. Smith, especially in the last couple of weeks, has, uh, you know, everybody's, you know, talked about Brown, which I completely understand. But, you know, Smith has been, uh, you know, he was kind of missing in action there for a little while, but uh, he's uh, been uh, much more part of the offense before the bye week. They have a huge game Monday night against the Chiefs in Kansas City. And guess who is number two on the list? It is the Kansas City Chiefs. They're sitting at seven and two. Last week they were three. Coach status is solid. Andy Reid is 254 and 140 in 25 seasons as an NFL head coach. That puts him fourth all time on the wins list. He is the only coach in NFL history to lead two different franchises to 10 or more playoff wins. Um, question marks, though, about the Chiefs. We know what they're doing defensively here. So will this offense, though, figure it out? They as well coming off of a bye week here. We know how good Andy Reid is as well coming off of a bye. Is that still true anymore? I don't think that's as much as it used to be. I mean, when it was in Philadelphia in the first part of Kansas City, it was ridiculously high percentage that they won and covered. I think that that is not as high as it was before, so I'm sure – Somebody will provide that information at uh, some point this week, but I don't think it's quite as uh, you know, seemingly automatic as it used to be. As far as this team goes, uh, you know, I think that they were dog-tired uh, by the time they got done with that game in Germany. I think they were dead tired in the second half. They've had a lot of injuries to try to go through this year and guys playing when they weren't 100%. So I think that they, too, much like Philadelphia, needed a bye. And I'm uh, very much looking forward to their game on Monday night. I will say against this. Each, against each other, if we if we didn't point that out. <laughs> I will say this about, uh, you know, Andy Reid coming off of a bye. When you are faced with a team like Philadelphia that at this point is the cream that has risen to the top, it does make it a little bit more challenging for you. That's true. Also, though, the Eagles, I mean, uh, you know, they're 8-1 record, but they've only won two games by, you know, double digits, and you would assume – a team with that kind of record would like be like the Cowboys. <laughs> but the Cowboys just destroy all the bad teams and lose to the good ones. So maybe that's a bad comparison by me. Number three on this list is the Detroit Lions. They're 7-2. and two. Last week they were four. Coach status is listed as safe. Dan Campbell is 15-4 and four in his last 19 games with the Lions. The Lions, uh, they certainly have um, – the gumption to go for it. They went for it on fourth down five times last Sunday. They converted four of them. We know about his Dan Campbellisms. We know about the energy that he brings. We know about all of that here. But he's certainly turning into a good coach with a front office that has put players on the field. Yeah. Also, uh, you know, that wonderful Chargers defense uh, really came through again in that game. I'm worried about the Detroit defense, and I mean worried. Sometimes uh, that word is used uh, too often, including by me. Uh, but you know, their offense I think is tremendous, and uh, yeah, it seems to be getting better. Quite frankly, they've obviously they've gotten healthier. Last week was the first time this season that they had their entire offensive line, which is a bunch of you know first and second round picks, basically. That it's the first time they were intact the entire year. Uh, and then, obviously, they got Montgomery back last week. 
Uh, you know, they've had wide receivers kind of in and out of the lineup, but you know, it seemed like everybody was there and healthy last week. But this defense, uh, which you know, showed some signs of improvement from last year, early in the season, looks more like last year's defense here in some of these recent games. Yeah, and it could be that those injuries are certainly piling up. Um, we'll have to wait to see what happens for the Detroit Lions there. On the other side of the break, we will get to more of uh, the power rankings. We haven't gotten to a few teams that were pretty high on this list just one week ago. So we'll get to that on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Download the KDOS 1060 app today and make sure you register. Get yourself eligible for some pretty sweet hardwood tickets. That contest is currently ongoing. Final segment of hour number one is coming up on the other side of the break. We'll do what's best for the team, and we'll do what's best for you. The Rich Eisen Show, coming to you weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. Wrapping up hour number one on this Wednesday, November 15th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. Up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. NFL power rankings from The Athletic with a twist. Head coaching status for 2024. The options are solid, safe, and shaky. Uh, Number one was the Eagles. Coach status safe. Chiefs, two. Coach status solid. Three, Lions. Coach status safe. Number four on this list is the 49ers. They're sitting at six and three. Last week, they were number six. Coach status for them is solid. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, though, he is 58 and 49 in seven seasons with the 49ers. And obviously, when everything is clicking for this 49ers offense, it's really a thing of beauty to watch. Uh, And I have to imagine it's a lot of fun to play in that offense, too. How do we assess, though, this 49ers team under Shanahan? And if they do not represent in the Super Bowl this this year or win it all this year, where does this team go? Uh, I don't think it matters at all whether it matters or not whether they have uh, you know whether they win a Super Bowl or not. They've got monstrous contract decisions to make at the end of the year, uh, which is you know the reason uh, the biggest reason well a big reason why I picked uh, I picked the 49ers to win the Super Bowl before the season started. It's kind of like the last rodeo with this group. We've seen situations like this before. I thought this for years in New Orleans, and they somehow maneuvered their way around the cap and kept guys that you thought were going to be leaving for sure. So maybe that could change, but it kind of seems like uh, you know it, it's going to be whether they can manipulate and you know, just kind of uh, you know redo some deals and some guys may take a hometown discount, etc., etc., to stay. I think that has a lot. Uh, that's a lot more to do with the future of the 49ers as to whether they won the Super Bowl this year or not. Number five is the Browns, sitting at six and three. Huge jump for them. Last week they were ten. Coach status is safe. 
It's interesting to me about coach status safe because that was absolutely a conversation we had preseason about Kevin Stefanski. He was a topic here uh, because they made the move to clearly try to make the defense better by bringing in uh, Jim Schwartz. The defense is playing at a fantastic pace so far this year. So the question was, can the offense match? Can the offense follow suit? Can Kevin Stefanski get enough out of Deshaun Watson to justify the contract and kind of him and this Browns organization? Well, now... You have the news from this morning. Deshaun Watson's going to be out for the rest of the season needing shoulder surgery. He fractured his shoulder in Sunday's contest against the Ravens. You had the tough blow uh, to running back Nick Chubb. I think yesterday he just had his second surgery on that injured knee. Uh, And then offensive line injuries throughout the season and especially to Jack Conklin. Yeah, they're down to their third right tackle now. They, they, They were actually down to their third right tackle last week when they beat the Ravens, and it's also Dorian Thompson-Robinson who's going to start this week ahead of P.J. Walker. Number six on this list is the Ravens, sitting at 7-3. Seven, seven and three. Last week they were number one on this list. Uh, coach status, though, is solid. Harbaugh is 154-98 and 98 in his 16th season with the Ravens. I think we can say that Mike McDonald, though, has been working out so far overall as defensive coordinator. But uh, last week, was that just a blip on the radar, radar, or should we really start paying attention to what's going on in the fourth quarter? I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, Lamar Jackson has the most turnovers of any quarterback in the NFL in the fourth quarter since he's become a starter and it just doesn't change they have seven losses when leading in the fourth quarter the last over the last two seasons that's tied for second uh, tied for the most in the league i don't i didn't see who else was tied for that probably a really bad team i'm guessing well maybe not because really bad teams don't lead in the fourth quarter but anyway uh they keep blowing games in the fourth quarter and lamar is a big reason as to why he's the one constant here and he's got he's just he has the most interceptions in the league in the fourth quarter in his career since he started as a quarterback. Miami Dolphins here are number seven. They're sitting at six and three. Last week they were also seven. Coach status is safe. The offense right now is averaging 7.1 yards per play. I'm curious, though, to see how things get ironed out because we know about the Dolphins so far this year, how they are with teams above 500 and how they are against teams below 500. Well, now they're without two of their starting offensive linemen. Armstead's back, but their two guards are out for an extended period of time, apparently. Uh, So I'm not really sure how to view the Dolphins at this point. I've never bought in to begin with. I want them to all be healthy. I want them to win every game by 1,000 points, and then I'll be betting against them in the playoffs or at some strategical point in December or early January before the playoffs. Rounding out. Because I don't believe in them. Rounding out the top 10, the Bengals at 8, coach status safe. Seahawks 9, coach status solid. Texans 10, coach status safe. If we have some time in hour number two, go through the head coaches seven years or longer with their organization, what we think of those coaches, and the coaches that are just starting with their current teams. But to kickstart for hour number two, college football. 